So Ryan Clayton and I have received a ton of questions from people on when running the Triple Crown, which is a six-part TV show, will finally come out on Amazon. And we have set up a website. So just for your background, running the triplecrown.com will have the most up-to-date link available. So once the show becomes available, we will put the link um, for the show there. So if you are wondering, you know, am I searching the right place? Just check out this website. It will point you to the right place. Hi, my name is Alyssa Clark. I am an American ultra runner uh, pursuing as many marathons as I can run in consecutive days. And welcome to Training for Ultra. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. Great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspired. Jam Jam, Jamil Curry here from Arab Viper Running, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hi, this is Alex Nichols. Uh, welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? Decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 136 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And we have a really great episode today for you. Alyssa Clark, just an amazing runner, has a ton of experience. She's young, and I don't know if she's ever been on a podcast before. I think this might be the first time she was interviewed by anyone. She has, she says she doesn't have a high maturity level. I think she has tons and tons of maturity for what she is, um, what she shared with me. So hopefully you guys pick up on the same things I'm picking up on, and I'm just really excited to see where she takes things. So big shout out to the show sponsors, Kogala. If you haven't checked out their light, I'll leave a link in the show notes. It's what I use on any kind of multi-day race or anything, any running in the dark. It's kind of a game changer not having a headlamp on your head, but being able to put it on a waist belt or wherever you like to put it. So um, check that show note link out, and I'll try to put a discount code there too. If you haven't checked out Hammer Nutrition, feel free to use my promo code 252888, and you'll save 15% off your first order. I know they've changed up their CBD offering, and, and now they're even offering a um, an applicator uh that makes CBD a lot easier to apply. So check that out. And then big thank you to Exoskin. You'll hear us talk about it on the episode. You've, you've heard me talk about them a lot and you know, I, I'm very happy with them. I've worn them on every run pretty much since Moab 240 in 2018. So if you're looking to try out a new pair of socks or just looking for something different, they have toe socks, regular socks, calf sleeves, base layers, skull caps, 
I think they're going to eventually come out with a few other products, but I've, I've been really happy with the quality of products. So check out the show notes again for a, a discount code. And then last but not least, Destination Trail, hopefully the Triple Crown takes place. I know a lot of people are kind of anxious with races being canceled, but check out their website. They have a variety of virtual race options with those unique, really cool belt buckles that we all love. So also, big thank you to the Patreon supporters. So the shout-out level, Richard Murray, David Colbert, you guys um, have been longtime supporters, Meg Collins. Thank you, guys. Brian, Landon, Ray, Brian, Todd, Matthew, Pat, uh, you guys have all been huge supporters. I love giving you guys a shout out and you make this all work behind the scenes. So truly appreciate it. Thank you to each and every one of you Patreon supporters. Love the conversations we have in the closed Facebook group. So thank you guys. Enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think. I'm joined here by Alyssa Clark. She's flying under the radar. There was a recent um, big article in Runner's World magazine about a new world record she just set, but I'm really excited to hear more about her background. Alyssa, thanks for joining me on the Train for Ultra podcast. Thanks for having me. I've been a huge fan for a long time. I It, it was mind-blowing reading that article, and then I think I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw you on stories from last year, like posted you were reading my book and loved it and stuff. It was like mind blowing that, you know, someone going after world records and, and the ultras that you've accomplished and finished uh, and not finished. We'll hear more about those. Uh, like it was it was an honor to see that. So, yeah, it's it's really cool. So you've listened to the podcast before. I have. It's gotten me through. Many, many training runs, um, a lot of bad weather, good weather, really hilly runs. So, no, I, I, it's, I'm a big fan. Have, have you actually picked up tips from it? It's- yeah, I definitely have. And I also picked up that toe socks are the best. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm not <laughs> – I was not a believer for a while and now I'm a believer, so – I assume those are exoskin or <laughs> they are, they are. Um, and I mean, last thing on this, cause I, I had to add, I mean, I have to ask, like, did you use the promo code from the podcast to, to get a discount or. So <laughs> I, uh, reached out to Croy saying, I heard of, you're in need of ambassadors and I am in need of awesome socks. So I did not use. I used the name. I did not use the discount code because they gave me my own. So, oh, Croy, if you're listening, that's almost no. I, I'm kidding. So you're you're an excellent runner. I mean, if you guys haven't checked out that Runner's World article, it's really great. Very good summary, and I just felt like I read it and I was like, I gotta find out more about your story. Like, there has to be a lot more here, and. I mean, to start with, when did you start running? Like, has have you been gifted early on? Were you playing other sports early on? Like, I got to hear yeah. more about your story. For sure. So I basically was playing sports um, since I was about three years old. I think that's when I started soccer. And then 
Um, I started lacrosse when I was five, and then I actually played lacrosse in um, college. But I grew up in a very athletic family. Um, my dad was a marathoner, triathlete. My mom has biked across the U.S. She's biked across Europe. Um, she's done so many miles of trails with me. Um, so it's just growing up, like our family vacation was biking across Prince Edward Island or going and hiking in the Tetons or um, up in Yellowstone. And so that was just kind of ingrained um, in my upbringing. But the funny thing is, is that I absolutely hated running or biking without what I thought was a purpose. Um, so this was till about 10 or 11. And at 10, I read Dean Carnassus's Ultra Marathon Man and went, I've got to do that someday, which is so funny being a 10 year old who hated running that I thought I was going to run an ultra. Um, but that I know that's also how you started your running career was reading that, that book or being inspired by that. That, that so, damn book has ruined so many lives. That damn book. <laughs> I literally actually just reread it. Yeah. Uh, he's so he's actually messaged me twice, encouraging me, um, through the marathons, which I was in utter awe. We this, should, we should call him. Yeah, we should call him. I, oh my gosh. Uh, have you, have you been able to talk to him or did you meet him in person? No, I've never met him in person. It was like marathon. It was so such good timing. Marathon probably there was a streak that was really hard, like in the mid to late thirties, because I didn't have anything big coming up. Um, it was just kind of the doldrums. And he reached out to me like twice during then, and just I was so excited um, to hear from him, and that kind of gave me a little boost to get me through those rough marathons. Um, so that that was huge. It's like my childhood idol is messaging me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's an unbelievable person. So busy, but he I I don't know how he finds time to to reach out to people like just with his schedule. So um that's fascinating to hear that that was your inspiration. What's it like growing up with not an expectation because I mean, what's it like with a such an endurance driven family like having a, a mom that's rode a bike across the united states like how I is that is it is there a pressure or is it how's that feel and how was that um i wouldn't say there was ever pressure i think there was always just a lot of encouragement and i think when you watch you know your parents set the example you you don't think that it's odd so if you have kind of that expectation, that role model out there, um, it's just normal. And so I think that they kind of normalize these adventures and their joy and passion really pass on to, I have a brother and a sister, to the three of us. Um, and so that really, I think that translated well. Um, and my brother and I actually went to Stratton Mountain School for two years to pursue cross-country skiing. So kind of part of that too is like at 14 years old I was doing five hour trail runs on the long trail like that was just normal um and I absolutely loved it so I think think that really translated as well and when did you become a runner per se like when did when did all this endurance background transition so I I kind of always loved running um, starting in about seventh grade, it was kind of in my back pocket. Um, I especially loved the longer, the better. 
Um, I hate five Ks. I still hate five Ks. Um, but that's why we're talking uh, to you. (laughs) They're they're awful. Um, so really when I, I, I did a couple of sprint triathlons when I was a junior in college and I had promised myself I'd run a marathon when I graduated college just to stay in shape. Um, and then when I did the triathlons, I kind of went, well, I don't really like the swimming or the biking. Aha, running. I'll do that. (laughs) So, um, my official career, I guess, started right out of college. I ran my first ultra at 22. I skipped the marathon. Um, and then, but yeah, kind of 50 K or 50 mile 50 K. Yeah. Um, there's a funny story about that, but, uh, I, so throughout the college, like my, so I went to a college that was about 25 miles away. And so my mom and I would get, we would like our move-in day, we would drive to the trailhead um, of the long trail and the Appalachian trail. And then we would run the trail portion from my hometown to my college every year as like move-in day tradition. Um, and so I guess I was doing, you know, these 20 to 25 milers on trail, um, as early as, you know, 14, 15, but then that didn't really stop. Um, it's funny cause I didn't realize how weird that was <laughs> until much later. <laughs> no, that's, like, that's I not mean, a normal mom daughter activity, but <laughs> I mean, did you pack things to take to, to move in day with you as you my ran? Da- my dad would drive the okay. car down. Yeah. That's so we, cool. That's really yeah, cool. We call it like the run to college. So. No kidding. Um, yeah. it, it, I mean, tell me more about your college running experience. So I always used running as kind of a stress relief in college. Uh, I didn't. I didn't run cross country or track because um, I I'm fast enough on a field. So I was I was plenty fast in lacrosse. But I'm, I'm not a natural 5K athlete. That's not really my strength. Um, so I you know, would go out on pretty long runs just on my own or in training. And that was kind of all the way through. Uh, I'm trying to think. But yeah, nothing super structured until my senior year where I started kind of building mileage and building mileage. So yeah, but I was a cross player throughout. And, uh, that was kind of, tell, uh, to me, tell me the funny story. I, I got to hear more about this oh, first 50 K. Yeah. Oh, the 50 K. So I got Hal Croner's book and followed the training plan. <laughs> absolutely religiously. That is an extreme training plan. Is it really? <laughs> oh my I God. I would break in half if I had to follow that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So I followed his plan like two. I remember when I, I worked like a 10 hour day serving um because i was just waiting for my job in hawaii to start i I was a teacher out in hawaii um and then i came back and i ran like 14 or 15 miles on a treadmill because it was storming too hard out but i was like i'm not messing up this training plan um (laughs) so so then uh my first ultra i was leaving for hawaii two days later but i decided to run a 50k and i had no idea what i was doing I had no idea if I'd be good or anything like that. And so I just start running and I'm like, well, this is really fun. And I come up to my sister crewed me. And so I'm at like, I don't know, mile 15 or 20. 
And she goes, you're in second. You're doing great. I was like, oh, who is this girl that's in front of me? Like, the super annoying. I thought, I, like, I didn't think I was going to do well, but, like, I feel like I should be close to her. And then I kept running, and the last three miles were so hard. I was like, is it gonna, ever going to end? Um, and I crossed the finish line. It turned out that I was second overall, not second female. And so the guy, there was a guy in front of me. And I was like, why did you tell me that? I thought there was a woman in front of me. So, not but a bad such a, debut. It wasn't, wasn't terrible. And I had no clue. I, I mean, honestly, I just thought running was fun. I never thought it would go anywhere. I never thought it would be anything. Um, so it's been everything to me is kind of a surprise, um, of, Oh, cool. Like that went well, I'm glad, but you're, you're flying under the radar. I'm like, I'm just really thankful to share just this part of your story and, and yeah, see where the next few years go for you because your background in endurance is like off the charts. Um, you've, you've done good. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm coming after the 200s. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, that's, Let's, that's next step. But anyway, go ahead. Um, I mean, what what was your follow-up to the 50K once you got a taste of that distance? Was it, were you looking for longer experiences? Like, did you like the, because if you took second overall at a 50K, it was probably a little painful. And... Yeah, tell me about the next few years because yeah. you're young. You're under thirty at this point, so yeah, I'm only I'm only twenty. I just turned twenty seven uh, last month, so still still have a lot left to learn. Um, but yeah, so I I basically I did that, and then I did another fifty k out in Hawaii, and. I, I mean, I, we all have this personality where it's like, if a little is good, then more is better. And if more is good, then the most is better. Uh, so, <laughs> so I, yeah. Um, so I did another 50 K, but it was a lot harder, a lot harder out in Hawaii. Um, and then after, then I did a mar- the Honolulu marathon, which is such a fun marathon. If you ever get the chance to do it. It's an absolute blast. I've heard um, that, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, the funny thing is I've only done three marathon, actual marathons in my life, and one of them was a training run. But uh, so after that, then I went another fifth. Well, and then I got really sick. Um, I had tonsillitis become an infection in my small muscle tissue. So I, I had to take a month or so off and kind of messed up summer um, training. But then in the fall, I, I did another 50 K. So in Hawaii, there's kind of a limited, um, ultra scene. It's an incredible, like that is the best community. I love all of them. Um, and, but there's kind of a race progression. Uh, so you do a 50 K in September and then in October you do a 55 miler, which is closer to 60. And then it kind of ends in hurt 100. Um, and so I 
did not know what I was getting into, but I put my name in for Hurt 100 and magically was like 10th on the wait list, which essentially means you're in and then went, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, so this was, so two years into, uh, getting into ultras, I had already signed up for what's, you know, what is hard, like the top 10 hardest hundred miler yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah. So it can great. ruin yeah. your whole year very it easily really- with the, <laughs> yes. the wet roots. It's like spin the roulette wheel. And yeah, that's a hard hundred. That's for sure. It is. It is. It helps if you live in Hawaii and you could like, I mean, I, I have before I raced hurt, I had run on that trail at every single minute of a 24 hour cycle. Like we would get out of work on a Thursday night and start at 8 PM and run until 2 AM. Or we would start at 10 PM, run a hurt loop and then run to the Honolulu marathon start. Um, so we really saw my training partners and I, we saw, um, that course at every possible time and i think that's hugely important you just used to the humidity you might have been um, born an ultra runner like at birth <laughs> you were an ultra runner um, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's don't know. that's awesome i mean and so you had this illness it tonsillitis it sounds like and then i mean i don't want to take too big of a step back but it sounds like when you were 14 you had a big surgery and I, I don't want to like take too big of a step back here, but tell me more about that and like how that's affecting things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really a key component um, of my attitude towards ultras. Uh, so when I was about 10, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an irritable bowel disease it's in the same um, category as Crohn's disease. They're very similar. And so I... Uh, I didn't have a very severe case when I was first diagnosed. Um, and then when I was about 13, I started getting very sick a lot, um, and going to the bathroom a ton and having a lot of issues with anemia. And so, um, pretty much the opposite of, of what's good for being a distance runner. Um, I would go out on a run and I'd go to the bathroom like five times in the woods in a five mile run, but I was super determined that I was going to let a disease define who I was. So then going into my freshman year of high school, um, I had a colonoscopy and it revealed that my colitis had become very severe. And so I spent uh, about a month um, of that summer in and out of hospitals, um, being hospitalized three times, spiking 104 degree fevers, going to the bathroom like 30 times a day. Um, I was so weak, I couldn't brush my teeth, um, like get out of bed to brush my teeth or walk over downstairs. Uh, and so they decided that I needed emergency surgery to remove my colon. Um, and right before I had my colon removed, I was lying in bed and, uh, they said, I, I need you to stand up to be weighed and for the medication. I just went, um, you know, I, I give up. Like, I don't, I don't want to stand up. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I, I'm done. And I've stood up, I did it anyway, but just kind of, and then I had the surgery. I had a temporary ileostomy for three months, which is a fun way to start high school. Um, and then I had, I have a J pouch made out of my small intestine. So it's a pseudo colon. Um, and 
I think the reason why I love ultras so much and why I can kind of go to the pain cave as one of my favorite ultra runners says, um, is that I know how bad where I was, was, and nothing can be as painful or as bad as that. And so everything past this point is an expression of my gratitude, um, in getting past that and being alive. And so it, I just, I feel so lucky for all the time that I get to spend outside and my body is pretty much the opposite of what should be good to be an ultra runner. I mean, I, I don't digest food very well. I go to the bathroom more than the average person. Um, I can get dehydrated really easily, but I think that it works in the weirdest way. And the mental strength I learned from that time has hugely helped me now. So I'm, I'm really thankful. That's amazing. That's yeah, that's seriously amazing. Um, and to find out that stuff at such a young age, I mean, I was, I was trying to figure out why you had this perspective that I had to hear more about because just you know, hearing sound bites and, and small things here and there, I knew you had an amazing perspective on life. I was trying to figure out why, like, why, why? That explains so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I feel, I, I can't even, I had such good doctors. I had so many people who cared, care and cared about me. And, and now I'm, I'm really thankful. So <laughs> I feel lucky. Wow. And so, they, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, you know, once you've been kind of confined in that way in your life where, you know, you're stuck in a hospital bed and you're looking out the mountains, wishing you're out there. Like, I'm, I just feel so lucky. I get to do what I love every day. Yeah. You, you never forget that. That's for sure. I mean, and I've, I've never experienced it on that level. That's for sure. So let's go back and you find yourself having overcome all this. You took runner up in a 50 K for your first, your first ultra, um, overall, <laughs> and you find your name drawn for hurt. What's going through your mind when you're, you're 10th on the wait list and you're figuring out like, okay, I need to do a hundred miler. Like had you done anything beyond 50 K at that point? And how do you, you know, how, how do you, uh, come to terms with, difference in distance in training i you know i think ignorance is bliss in many ways totally um (laughs) but you know i i was it's funny because i did so i went 50k 55 miler which was the longest i'd done before hurt and i just really believed i could do it and i did every every time someone was out doing it because there's an amazing community of training that goes on before hurt um, there's kind of some key workouts you do in the whole, and you just have runners there the whole time and you become such good friends with, with them. Um, it's really a good crew. And so I, every time there was an opportunity to train, I was doing it, you know, get up at three in the morning to go run for 12 hours. You know, I was doing it or, and then, you know, we do a loop and then go to the Honolulu marathon. And then two days later run like another hurt loop. I, I joked for a little bit that a hurt loop a day keeps the doctor away. Um, which is <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, 
so I just, yeah, I just threw myself into it and uh, really committed to it. And I uh, uh, had a, well, that. I mean, that was probably that was a, a very good. Those three races were were really good um, leading up to it. I felt super prepared um, in many ways. And I think you just got to jump sometimes. You just got to go for it. Um, but I do think that I also really focused on my training. And um, I feel like I, I did go into it prepared as well. I think so, so many people will, will gain from that comment because that's one of the more common questions I get from people is, you know, I've done X, Y, Z. Am I ready for 100 or 200? And it's like you're there's never a time you run one of these races and you're like, okay, I'm good. I can go run a hundred miler. Like, yeah, I don't care if you're Jim Wamsley, like it's, and it's all relative obviously, but when you go beyond a hundred K distance, there's so many variables you just don't know. And you do have to just take that leap, like you said, and you have to have sound training and be smart about it. But, um, yeah, you totally nailed that in my opinion. Thanks. And that, you know, that's actually one of the questions I get most about these marathons is how, how are you doing this? And, and I think about it and I go, oh, I always say years and years of being an endurance athlete. You know, I started doing this training since I was, you know, 12 years old. I'm now 27. That's 15 years of putting in, you know, effort. And so it's hard. Um, it, it, I, I can't, I can't tell someone when they're ready to do something, um, but I can say that if you put in the work, you'll be, you'll be ready. So you've hit that like Gladwell 10,000 hour mark for sure. <laughs> um, if I had it before I have this year. So. <laughs> uh, so how did hurt go? Uh, it went really well. Um, and what year was yeah, this? I, this was 2016. Um, so and, and actually, the cool thing was the, the race, the Peacock 55-miler before, actually, um, one of the, no offense, one of the coolest things I think about ultras is that women can win overall. Um, and I had a race that day where I actually won the race overall. And it, it was, a, that was one of the coolest moments I think I've had in ultras was crossing the finish line first. That's um, awesome. That's, and so, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really special. Um but then hurt I ended up coming in third female fifteenth overall. Um right behind Nikki Kimball, who is an awesome person. Um and we became friends after that. So that was a huge win as well, was uh I getting mean, to meet her. Yeah, if if you're gonna come in behind anyone, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, not bad. No, she she's great. We're both from Vermont. Um, and one day I want to go after the long trail record, which I just found out is now faster. So, <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> um, I, that's that's amazing. I mean, and so that's the beginning of sixteen, correct? Yes, that's in January. So, how long was recovery for you after your first hundred miler? How was your body? Did you like roll into the finish line and just kind of like curl up in a ball or? Oh yeah. So I, I've never, I don't think I've ever cried more in a 24 hour period <laughs> than I did. There was a lot of crying. Um, but I finished 
and sat down and was just immobile. I mean, they try, they were helping me try to go to the bathroom after that. And this is how I knew. So I'd been dating my now husband for five months and he crewed me the entire race and was like just a godsend. I knew I was going to marry him after that, but he carried, he and his roommate carried me up the stairs and he got like $60 of ice and was going to give me an ice bath because Nikki said I should do that. He put like a hat on me and gloves on me. And I just start bawling in his arms like, don't make me be in more pain. I've already been in pain for 30 hours. I can't do this. So we lost $60 worth of ice. But <laughs> he, he, I mean, I was... It was rough. I mean, it's your first hundred recovering from that. You're like, oh my goodness, if this is how it's going to be every time, I don't know how I can do this. But that is one of the best parts about getting more trained to do it is the recovery period is so much faster. It gets quicker and quicker. Yeah. It does. Yeah. yeah if everyone uh, recovered the same as their first hundred, I don't know if we would be doing many hundreds. I, I, maybe we're all dumb enough to continue, but That's fair. Um, <laughs> how how was ultra sign up the day after you finished her? Did ultra you, sign up? Yeah. Oh, did, did you look at ultrasignup.com and were you thinking about your next race already or were you oh, like, oh, I need yeah, a yeah. break? Um, no, I think I signed up for the Vermont 100 K less than a week later. Totally. Yes. Yeah. 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 And yeah, oh, that's a dangerous website. See, in Europe, we don't really use ultra sign up, so I have I've been away from it for a couple of years. Now I'm back scouting it. I always forget so it's such much. an American thing, like cause it is trying to track your ultras is incredibly difficult on ultra sign up because you've done so many European races. And so, yeah, also, go ahead. Get married if you get married in the middle of your career too. It really throws people off. Change your name. <laughs> Sneaky tip if you don't want people following you. Yeah, in in the uh, Runner's World article, it says that your pace during your marathons, which we'll get to uh, later here, was like between 9.20 and 9.40. And I'm like, so do you consider yourself like a middle-of-the-pack runner? Like, because I couldn't find all your races. Uh, I I admit that I, I... couldn't find all your historical races for my due diligence so it's all good it's my apologies really, <laughs> no no not at all and and i will say it's funny because i did think about it for a second because i think i still have so much left to learn and i have a lot of improvement um so i i think i i kind of describe myself as like on the cusp of perhaps being there one day but i really do think i have a lot to learn and a lot to improve on and so i I, think it will be fascinating (laughs) to watch your career over the next few years because i i totally agree you're likely on the cusp of uh becoming a lead ultra runner like truly you're right there like you could become a full-time ultra runner depending on how recovery goes with your marathons and everything i think you'll likely come out stronger uh who knows i think so yeah, and I was going to say we can get to this, but part of the pacing is that uh, I, I'm i really careful that I can hold a full conversation the entire time. So actually, uh, thinking back on, I remember you saying I want to be able to carry a 12-minute pace like 
all day forever and so forever <laughs> yeah so i try to kind of keep myself on like more forever pace because if i don't then tomorrow is really gonna suck um so <laughs> you are you have to be so fat adapted at this point it has to be outrageous um hope so <laughs> I, yeah I, I, that's awesome that's truly awesome yeah no it's uh I, I've made a couple mistakes where I get too excited. Like one day, I don't know, somewhere in the 30s, I was like, I'm going to run the last three miles at 7.30. And then the next day, I was next like, day. you're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Um, and so let's fast forward a little bit. I mean, you clearly have found your community of people and and what you're really enjoying. And your perspective is amazing throughout this. Uh, you. You had some, you call 2019 kind of like your epic, like DNF year. Is that right? Yes. Epic well, failure. <laughs> epic failure. I, I love it because you're testing your limits. I mean, how do you know you're not capable of something if you don't try? Um, tell me about this year. I wanted to, I wanted to hear more about it. Absolutely. So I, again, the mentality of like, well, if it's a little good, it's a lot is better. Um, I, I wanted to really challenge myself because we had a finite amount of time in Europe. And so I, I wanted to go after the biggest and baddest ultras because that's really where I feel that's that's where I am happiest um, in that zone. I'm not I mean, I kudos. I'm not fast like Jim Walmsley. I'm not fast um, like Camille Heron. So I need to kind of find where I fit. Um, and so I feel like my strength is <clears throat> going after really challenging ultras. And I love technical trail. It's my absolute favorite. Um, so I decided I'm going to go after, I'm going to look up <laughs> on Google, what's what are the hardest races in the world? And then I'm going to try to go after them. <laughs> I've done that and search so- <laughs> too, unfortunately. <laughs> We're sick people. <laughs> we really are. Um so I did that Google search and I found the Dragon's Back race in Wales and Tour de Jean. Uh, awesome. They're spread enough apart. I can um, do both. It'll be great. So I, I sign up for Dragon's Back and then randomly with Tour de Jean, I was not in. And then John Kelly and I got in like two months later, which I don't know why, but I it was great. I was terrified. It's like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, but committed to it. And so trained, um, hard. And I, back at that time I was working with Nikki Kimball, um, for a bit and she was training me really well. And then I got to dragons back. I had, I had two races prior to that, that went very solid. You know, you're trying to peak for, um, a couple of races. So the lead up races, you're just training through them. Um, and so got to dragons back and was going, I mean, that is the most incredible race. It's a stage race. So it's five day stage race throughout Wales. It's unmarked. So you're going off of GPS the whole time. And then the first day is 50 K through the Snowdonia national park, which is absolutely beautiful and it's so technical and i loved every second of it the first day was awesome um i was in second i think like 10th overall or something like that it was a great day um felt super good 
Well, the next day had another really good day. So the first two days are very technical. And then the last three days are less technical, but longer. Um, so it was going super well. Um, but I wasn't eating enough. And so I, I just wasn't focusing on nutrition throughout. Um, I just thought, Oh, I'll just get through another day. Oh, I'll just get through another day. Um, and it's also a little bit difficult when you do have, um, so I have a gluten intolerance. Um, and when you kind of, you have, so they provide food and when you have a limited amount of food, um, it just makes it harder to get in the calories and I didn't focus on it enough. So the third day went okay. It was a little bit worse than the first two days. I think I slipped back to third maybe, but the top three of us were all kind of neck and neck. Um, two other amazing runners. They're great people too. And then the fourth day I start out and I'm like 10 K or so, maybe 20 K in. And I just start blacking out. And so I, I blacked out four or five times on the fourth day and there was a medical stop, um, probably about a K from when I started blacking out and they're like, you're done. Your race is over. You, you can't keep like my, I don't exactly know what was wrong. Um, but I later became friends with someone who was there when I was blacking out and he was like, there was something really wrong with you. And I really think what it boils down to is I was not eating enough. I was not taking care of myself enough. And I think that's one of the biggest things I learned was that I needed, you know, you have to take care of something now. You cannot wait until tomorrow. You cannot wait until an hour later. Like, actually, one of my favorite things, um, do you know who Nikki Spinks is? Uh, No. (laughs) Okay. No, no. It's funny when you're in the European scene. It's such a difference. But she um, has done the Ramsey round, um, like the double Ramsey round. She's a great British runner. And she, her thing is, if you think something three times, you need to do it. Um, so I need to get the shoe out of my rock. I need to eat something. If you think that three times, you have to do it because otherwise, you know, you're letting yourself go. I've, I um, totally agree. I learned it from Trail Runner Nation podcast. I think Don's big on like, if you have a rock in your shoe, just stop. Yeah, because yeah. it's going to become a big problem later. So just take the. 10, 30 seconds, whatever, a minute, and just take care of it now because it's going to become a massive issue down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. So I I didn't listen, and I DNF'd, and I was devastated. Because, um, you know, here's this race. It was going super well. This was kind of one of my big, like, I've trained really hard. This is going to be my big debut, Um, and it was going super well. And then I just, I didn't take care of myself. And the great thing is, is that now I have to go back, um, which I'm psyched about, but that was no, no American woman's ever won it. Um, so I really hoped that, that one day maybe I can do that. If I can do Um, international flights again, safely, like I'll I'll be there with a camera. That sounds awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It is Ah, uh, I, I mean, I absolutely—I spent a lot of the time in the UK and absolutely love it. I've made some of my best friends from that race. Like, I went up for a training run, and two of the guys are like two of my really good friends um, from that race. So you just get so close because you're spending so much time together. And 
So that happened. I was like, okay, well, biggest race of the year so far failed. I have nothing to show. You know, like the other two races I did were nice races, but they weren't they weren't like super well known. They were just nice races in Italy. And, so you're uh, so you're ready then, to put your name on the map in yeah. 2019. Like last yes. year's, like I'm going to put my name on the map. Like it's time. Exactly. I'm ready. Yeah. Like I've had some some like good results. You know, I get a lot of like, oh, that's nice. Like you're you're close, but um, so I was like, boom, this is going to be the year. I'm going to do it. And then um, I did I did the Iger Ultra, which is again a beautiful race. Um, one of the and, best in the world. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Um, and, and did okay there, but I kind of, it was, it's hard when you DNF something that you really care about. The, the race after has to be kind of a layup. How do type, I, yeah. Yeah. How do I race again? And so I think I was a little afraid to push myself too hard. Totally. Um, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. And also a lot of these races, like my husband's military and so he can't always get the time off. So I do go to races on my own a fair amount. Um, that was a bit growing up is going to a, a race where they don't speak your language and you have to figure things out. Um, so I think I gained a lot of, uh, uh, fortitude doing, yeah, I mean, doing things top, on my a own. top 10 females. Awesome. At that race that, that almost in itself is like, okay, flags up. Like here's a serious runner. When I saw that, I, which is one of your few results that actually showed up on ultra sign up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny what, what goes through. Um, but anyway, I was like, awesome. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm not quite where I want to be. Uh, I mean, that was an okay result, but I, I really thought I could do a little better. Um, but you know, I'm back on track for tour de Jean and then tour de Jean is just, it is, you can't even grasp it. It's just mind blowing. Um, and so I went into it and it, I mean, it's a, you're at 8,000 plus feet of altitude, most of the race. And I didn't account for that. That's um, a and big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. And so, and the weather was awful. It was snowing in the middle. It, so this race is in September. It was snowing in the middle of the night. It was 20 degrees and you're caught, you're just going up and down eight to 10 plus thousand feet of altitude. And the, the climbs are just, I mean, when you climb for five to six hours, it's just like, nothing's going to feel hard after that. So, I'm so give, give the listeners some background if they don't know about okay. this race. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, like where is it so, and, and how far is it and stuff? So Tour de Jean is a race um, through the Aosta Valley, which is kind of on the other side of um, UTMB or I'm sorry, of um, Chamonix. But UTMB runs through Cormier. So Cormier is right on the Italian-French border. Um, and so in UTMB, you actually drop down into Cormier. Um, and so Tour de Jean is kind of like UTMB on steroids. So it's 330 kilometers, but it's actually more. Um, and then it is... So how many 30, miles is that? I, I'm not so that that's, quick. 200 it's supposed to be 210 miles but it's more like 230 um which is amazing so it's like but moab 240 with how much gain <laughs> it is 30,000 meters so it's almost 90,000 feet of climbing what that's yeah. that has to be the most of any race i think it is 
in the I, I entire think it's world. Right up like, there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're just climbing the whole time. You're never not climbing. Or you're coming down these descents that are three to four miles long. You're like, I see a village. <laughs> oh, it's still three that miles. That descent away. has to kill your quad. I mean, yeah. I, oh, man. I'm going to start with UTMB. <laughs> yeah, I think that's smart. And honestly, so we did as a training run, I spent or a training block for Tour de Jean. I spent like four days in the Dolomites. And this is right before I got my job. So I was like, I'm just going to blow it out of the park. Spent four or five days running in the Dolomites. And then we did um, TMB in four days, hiking it with a couple friends, um, which was awesome. But UTMB, I, one day I want to get there. Uh, but yeah, Tour de Jean is like the big brother of UTMB. And wow. Yeah, it's brutal. So I... Um, I wasn't feeling very good climbing, which is really bad in a race with that much. <laughs> with 90,000 feet again. Yeah, it's not great when you start and you're like, my legs are a little tired. <laughs> my um, legs are shot. It's like mile yeah. seven. <laughs> oh my, yeah. Yep. Been there. Oh yeah, it's it's like a, I think the first climb is like three or 4,000 feet right off the bat. Um, so I went through Sunday night. It's also, I mean, it's just like Moab where, you know, ready, set, go. And whoever gets there first wins. So it's not a stage race. Um, so you're always playing the sleep game. And so the first night I chose not to sleep and in the first 50 K you have two, no, maybe it's in the second, the second 50 K you have two, five or 6,000 feet climbs where you're getting up into over 10,000 feet of elevations, the two biggest climbs in the race. Um, and so, uh, 50k in I was okay and I feel great but I was okay and then the second 50k I start coughing and I'm having a lot of trouble in my chest um and this happened to a lot of people but I started developing bronchitis so Monday Monday morning I started having tightness in my chest and not feeling good um the two climbs in the second 50k I mean I just remember looking up and going, I don't know if those are headlights or stars, but I really hope they're stars. They were not. Um, and so like, these climbs are just mind blowing. That and Wait, wait, they, back, back up to that comment because I've experienced that. I think I yeah. wrote about that. I actually, I was like, where did I get that? That was from your book. Yep. It's the same thing where you're going, wait, are these headlights? So, so you're at a low, a low part of the race and you look up at nighttime and yes. you can't distinguish if what you're seeing above you are stars or headlamps of like other runners or exactly. is that, yeah, it's such yeah. a weird experience. It's so weird. And it's, you know, you think in the night it would be better <laughs> when you see that you're so demoralized. Oh, it sucks. I, I like climbing at night though. Cause you just, cause you don't see the whole picture unless you're looking up at the stars or headlamps. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, did the altitude end it for you or what happened? You know, so ultimately, so I got a hundred K in that was, so the first time I slept was I think Monday at about five, I slept for like 45 minutes and I developed this my chest wasn't feeling good. You could hear the rasp in my voice. I would go to the doctors and they'd say, well, you know, it's not great, but 
I guess you can keep going. They they <laughs> held me for about an hour trying to give me some um, an inhaler. And the thing is, is they're kind of not, for the most part, going to tell you to stop. Um, they did actually eventually tell me to stop. But for the beginning part, they won't really. And so I kept going. I kept just kind of pushing, kind of knowing that inevitably the race wasn't going to go the way that I wanted it to. And... Um, one of the most interesting things is that on the second night I started having auditory hallucinations. Those are really scary when you start hearing voices and sounds and think, "Uh Oh, <laughs> I don't think those are there. So I think I put your podcast in because I was scared. Um, it's weird when you're at 8,000 plus feet and you start hearing things. And, it's uh, so weird. Yeah, it's a little scary. I've never done auditory hallucinations. No one talks um, about those. No, no one, one talks no about one those. No one talks about those. Yeah. But I've, they're I've there. Gotten, they are, and they're the worst. Like, halluc- visual hallucinations, I've gotten to the point I can be like, ah, that's not real. Like, that. that's okay. But auditory are weird. Um, so then what were you, I tried what, to sleep. No, no, no. What were you hearing? Come on. Um, I think I, I was hearing people's voices, but there wasn't anyone around me. I think I may have heard some dogs. Um, oh, yeah. But I, yeah. It, it definitely, there, definitely none of that was actually there. Was it, was it such a remote region that was like, it was unnaturally quiet? Because that's what yes. I started figuring out was like, my mind needs that normalcy. And it, you that get out sense. so remote that, yeah, you your brain starts like making it sound like it's a park, but it's clearly not a park. Yeah, that's that's so true. I think that's exactly what happened. So then I started playing um, podcasts so that I could kind of hear something that was real. That's a good idea. Um, that's a really yeah. good idea. Yeah. Um, Maybe there were ghosts. They could have been, honestly. The ghosts of past runners uh, <laughs> are souls out there. Um, but the, the amazing thing, and this is why I say, don't be afraid is that, and you've experienced this, um, cause you've done CCC. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Is that you have the refugios. So you have people who are looking out for you and their refugios are, you know, they're not, they're, they're most like 10 kilometers away. And then you have people who want to give you a warm hug. They have polenta for you. They have hot broth, they have cheese and meats. Um, so you really, and you could also sleep at the refugios if you needed to. So you could sleep for like uh, an hour or two um, in their bunk rooms. And it's just like the spirit of that race is totally. unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, they just love ultra running. They think it's the coolest thing. And they are so proud um, to be a part of it. And that is so inspiring. It's um, like the warmest community. Like oh, during awesome. UTMB week. And it sounds like it's very similar. I mean. Did you did you have kids cheering you on? That was my big thing. Is like there were two little like seven year old boys that were like cheering me on, like I was winning, but clearly I was not. And uh, <laughs> it, it was just such a warming uh, feeling, like having people sincerely trying to pull you oh, out no. of a low. You know, absolutely, they will do anything to. Um, make like help you whatever they can do. Yeah, it's it's awesome and just the kindness yeah. that they show you. It just it's mind blowing. Um, but yeah, so I made it to a hundred and 
50 kilometers that they, so they have, they call them life bases every 50 kilometers, but it's actually much further than 50 kilometers. Um, so I made it to 150 K life base and I, I was really hurting at that point. I couldn't breathe. Um, and I was just going, if I make it a few more steps. So I just kept going, I'll just do a few more steps, a few more steps. Um, and then it's just hit another horrendous climb and I made it up to one of the most beautiful refugios. Um, but I was going into the night, it was snowing, it was 20 degrees and I was heading into more altitude of 9,000 feet. I talked to the doctor at this refugio and he's like, you know, it's really, I don't want you to go on like, this is really stupid. Yeah. Um, going into the night at 20 degrees with snow with you not being able to breathe. Um, so that that's ultimately where my race ended was at the refugio. And then we hiked out the next morning. There was three people with me who had to drop out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy how many people it affected that year um, with uh, the bronchitis. Um, but I actually met uh, run the Alps. I met Doug. He was also doing, um, Tortajon that year. So we met at that refugio and we just start hysterically bawling together. Like we're just so dead. And he has a picture of us and I have to get him to send the picture because that, I've I'll, never I'll seen... share the episode maybe with that one. If you can get awesome. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's just so you're so broken, but it's so beautiful how people come together. It, it just, it, it really reminds you what is good about humanity in those moments of sharing an experience that is so beyond challenging, but you're doing it together. Um, and he really, like I knew my race was ended, but he kind of carried my race on with him and he did finish. Um, and I don't know if he realizes that, but I just kind of was like, all right, you take it on, you know, this is where I end, but you keep going. And so it's just, it's, I like, I've never been surrounded by such a group of the most beautifully broken people in that refugio. Um, and, and that in itself is, I think the really special part. So that's amazing. You know, ult- <laughs> ultimately it didn't go the way I wanted it to dragons back. Didn't go the way I wanted it to, but I learned so much. And, and I guess this is the takeaway is that really what I learned from it is that I wasn't mature enough in many ways to be able to handle when things went wrong. Um, so there were ways that I could have mitigated and, um, made things better for myself. Like I could have used a buff, um, to help with the air. I could have, um, used more, um, throat lozenges. Like there's things I probably, I could have trained more in altitude and I just kind of thought I was impervious to, um, failure. And I think that that's the biggest lesson you learn. I mean, especially when you're younger and I had never DNF to race before. And then I DNF, you know, the two ones that are going to put me on the map. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's maturity. I think it's just experience. It's just going to take a little bit of time to have failure so that when you're doing your next tour, like you, you put that buff over your face without thinking about it because you know what happens if you don't. Exactly. And, and that's something I've, you know, I've been asked, what have you learned with these marathons? And 
one of the biggest things is that I've learned take care of it now because if you want to sustain something for you know 90 100 days if you let something small go it's going to plague you the rest of the time so I think that's the biggest thing I learned and I don't know if I would have known that had I not failed last year at allowing things to get to the point where I had to stop so, so. last last question on on this and then I want to hear about your marathons yeah. How how many hours on your feet like during this race? Because you you talk about miles, but miles are meaningless in a race like this. Right. Oh, I have to think. So I started Sunday at noon, and ultimately, I probably slept like four hours, maybe, and stopped. Um, Tuesday night at 10 p.m., but then I still had to hike out Wednesday morning. So you're you were, let's just say, f- at least 50 hours. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was like 50 to 55 hours. So, and in terms of comparing that to any other efforts, that had to be a multiple, right? Yeah, and and that's the other thing that I was I kind of took away as being proud of myself is that I the longest I'd gone is 100 miles. And so here I was doing 140 in some of the hardest terrain in the world. And so it was like, okay, well, I can't be mad at myself for that. Um, so that was definitely, a, you know, a boost of spirits um, in that regard. I'm probably like the only person in the world that's asked you like, wait, how long did that DNF take you? Yeah, really long. I know. Well, that's no one cares thing. about finish times, let alone DNF times. Well, I actually, it's funny. I, I heard somewhere along the lines that someone famous writes their DNFs on their resume. Um, <laughs> Instead so of their I, finishes. Well, they, they do their finishes, but they don't shy away from putting their DNFs on it as well. And so I went, you know what? I'm going to do that. And I'm going to write down what I DNFed because it was a long time. <laughs> like, it wasn't, I wasn't just a whim. <laughs> Okay, so 2019, you're going to put yourself on the map. It just blows up in your face. Like, how was what? What was going through your head when you're flying back after your DNF? Ah, uh, well, I messed that year up. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't too happy with myself, um, and I just thought, oh, great, you know, a year of really hard training that I don't really have anything to show for it. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, you need to have results to show who you are. And I do have some results, but they were, they're starting to be further and further back. Um, and here's a whole year where I really went after it and I failed. Um, so it was actually a really hard, uh, time after that. I was not recovered, but I threw myself into a 50 K like three weeks later, then I did a, a sky, like two sky races, um, and I just kind of tried to bury my disappointment in other races. And I was so burned out um, by November, and I was having some medical issues. Um, just I just put myself in a huge hole because I, I was, you know, it's like when you DNF something, you feel like you didn't earn the the rest time, and that's a really detrimental way to think of it. Um, because you do deserve to rest. You, I mean, I put in the longest effort I ever had. And instead of giving myself time 
to recover, I tried to make myself feel better by racing. Um, and that, that wasn't a very mature decision. Um, but I, again, now looking at that went, well, I know exactly why I did that. And, um, it took a while to feel more normal again. Um, and I did take a break and thanks to our current situation, haven't put on a pin number since then, not by choice. <laughs> I, you're, those past few comments are the reason you're putting your name, you know, out there and your career is going to take off in ultra running. Like you've gained so much experience through the past 12 to 18 months. Like that's what you're saying is so spot on from who I've talked to. And yeah, that's, that's really exciting to hear you say those things. And tell me where this marathon idea came from. Where were you in the world? Um, like For where sure. were you living at the time and like, how did this play out? And did you feel like you were back to like the 2019 route there for a while? And tell me oh. just more about all this. Yeah. So I, um, I was like, okay, well, I learned a lot of lessons in 2019. So 2020, I'm, I'm really, I'm ready for this. I felt like I gained some confidence too. Um, because you know, the worst comes to worst, it's as bad as last year, but I didn't think, um, that that was where I wasn't as, as an athlete. I thought that this year was really going to be a great year. Um, so I was signed up for, um, I was supposed to do trans grand Canaria and then I was supposed to do Istria 100, Lavaredo, Ultra Trail. And then um, I was trying to get like these, the big European Ultra Trail World Tour races uh, while I was still there, you know, where it's those, still a lot cheaper. Those were so, the big ones. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. I, I was, that's aggressive. Yeah. I was so excited. I, Istria, I was like, I want that so badly. Um, and then. Italy, I mean, Italy was ahead of the U.S. in terms of cases. And so right when things started getting really bad was basically the weekend Trans Grand Canaria happened. And I know it did go off, but I just, I felt so, I just had this gut feeling that I shouldn't go. And it was, it was the right decision. I ended up doing a, a run all along the Amalfi Coast, like a self, I made up my own adventure like Killian Jornet he's a, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, but I, I just had this gut feeling of like, I could get stuck there. The cases in Italy are getting so bad. And essentially right after that, everything shut down like a day after. Um, so I think it was the right decision for me not to, to fly there. Um, and I thought there's no way by April that, you know, there's not going to be races. Um, and so I was super set. I, I mean, I was training super well, like felt great, was running faster than I had. Um, I'm working with, uh, Sean Bearden now, and he's just a great guy. Um, I feel like, you know, we were on point for everything and then everything just gets canceled. I'm like, great. Another 2019, <laughs> just here, here it goes down the toilet. Um, and so I just, I was kind of going crazy too, because, um, in Italy at the time, it's a lot different than the States because Italy can kind of put a mass 
policy into plan and they can enact it. Whereas in the States, you know, everything's state by state and it's a lot more individual freedom. You can't tell me what to do um, in the States, which is part of what makes us so great and part of what Part of what's wrong right now. (laughs) Yeah, part of what's getting us in a little bit of trouble. Um, So in Italy, in uh, I think it was March 9th, um, right around there, basically it, uh, everything was closed. Everything was shut down. So you couldn't, I never thought in my life I would live in a place where I couldn't run outside. And they started putting rules out and you could only travel to and from the grocery store or to and from work. Um, as, but you had to carry papers with you to justify your actions. There was police barricades everywhere. Um, and then they made it so you couldn't run or walk outside. Um, you could be fined or arrested if you were caught outside. Um, if you were not doing you know, the necessary actions of going to the grocery store or going to work. Um, and everything was shut down except grocery stores um, and pharmacies and hospitals. My job, I was a, the point of contact for the gym. And the gym was closed down, but I still went in for a couple hours um, just to make sure everything was all set. But, uh, yeah, so, it, I mean, it was just, we are completely locked down. And my husband and I are used to every weekend going into the mountains, um, you know, doing some big adventures. We, uh, we're leaving Italy in May, and so we're kind of trying to get in our last big trips and everything. Um, and to have that kind of completely pulled out from under you, I found myself, I luckily we have a treadmill at my house. So I was on the treadmill, I was doing workouts, but I just felt like, what am I doing? Um, how do I use up this energy that I have? Um, and, and anxiety really of being stuck in a house all day, um, or at work, you know, in a closed facility. And luckily we do have a little backyard. We live more out in the countryside. Um, but I kind of toy with some ideas. I thought about doing the quarantine, backyard challenge. Um, I thought about doing a 24 hour record or a 48 hour treadmill record. Um, and I bounced a lot of ideas off of Sean and he's like, well, you seem like you're searching for something, but you know, what do you, why do you really want to do this? And I just, I felt like I needed to do something. And so I, on March, I think 30th, I said to my husband, what if I run a marathon every day until we're allowed to go outside? And he goes, I think that's pretty sustainable for you. And at the time, it was supposed to be April 14th that bans were lifted. So that would have been about, yeah. So it would have been like 15 days. Not bad. Um, that's like doable. So I emailed Sean, said, what do you think of this idea? And the next day, he emailed me back in the afternoon and said, I think you should think about it for a few days. And I emailed him back and said, sorry, I started this morning. Um <laughs> So March 31st is when I started and really thought it was going to be 15 days. And then the band got extended to May 1st. And so at that point, when you're 31 marathons in, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of routine now. Um, and so this is something I, I actually, I'm really happy to talk about this. And I just posted about this, but um, I began or back kind of when I started, I did a cursory glance of looking at what the world record was. Um, and what I found was Alice Birch's official world record of 60 marathons in 60 days. 
And so I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to run for two months. That's ridiculous. Um, and also we were moving back to the United States within the time period of that two months. So I thought, well, there's no way I'm, I'm also going to be running marathons, um, while we're trying to move across the world during a pandemic. This sounds really silly. So when I looked it up, I, and then, you know, it gets extended to May 1st, but about marathon 26, I say to my husband, what do you think about me trying to go f- to break the record? And he goes, yeah, I knew you were going to want to do that. <laughs> so he knows me well. Um, so we start figuring out how am I going to sustain this um, throughout the move and through flights and everything. And also at this time, they'd started shutting. I mean, there basically no options to fly back and forth from the U.S. and Italy. So we flew actually an aircraft carrier. <laughs> or I'm sorry, not an aircraft carrier. Um, a uh, storage um, airplane. Wow, I'm I'm messing this up completely. But no, no. A, sorry, a cargo plane. There okay. we go. I flew. We flew a cargo plane um, back from the states, or back from Italy to the states, um, because there were no really other flight was, options. Was there a treadmill set up in it? Oh, uh, believe me, we that, that would have been ep- around. That would have been epic, but <laughs> it would have so dangerous as that, hell, but. <laughs> That was tossed around so much, like the first marathon run it, you know, 10,000 feet or whatever. But (laughs) so we couldn't quite get it together soon enough. And um, it would have been super annoying for everyone else, like me running a marathon when they're all trying to sleep and such. So, (laughs) yeah. I mean, if you hit turbulence. uh, Oh, yeah, that would have been terrifying. It would have been awful. (laughs) Well, the other thing is it's. It's um, set to 8,000 feet, so it would have been like running a marathon at 8,000 feet of elevation because the air is much thinner. So that would have yeah. been really hard, too. Um, but anyway, so we start figuring out the plans. I'm continuing to do it. We move out from our house because in the military, you move from your house, you ship all your household goods, and you move into a hotel um, for five to ten days. Um, so we're doing all of that. My poor husband's like coordinating the moves. I'm out. Oh, I'll see you in four hours. Um, <laughs> running a marathon. <laughs> and we get through that part, get to the hotel. It's much easier. And then we keep getting flight delay, flight delay, flight delay. And we're, like, we're never going to get out of Italy. Um, so finally, our flights get connected. Or they finally figure out the flights. And then it turns out that we were stopping in Rammstein, Germany, um, at an Air Force base there. So we're going to fly that afternoon. It's about a two and a half hour flight from Naples to Germany. Uh, And then we will spend the night in Germany and then fly to Virginia um, the following day. So I figure we figured out and we're thinking, oh, the flight from Germany is probably going to be at about two or three in the afternoon. So we get into, I I run a a marathon in the morning in Naples. Then we get on the plane. We fly to Germany. And we get in at about 10 o'clock at night. And they tell us, you have to be back at the terminal at 9.30 in the morning. And my marathons have been like very consistent time-wise. But I'm just going, this is going to be the one marathon where I take six or seven hours for no apparent reason. So... I got, I went to bed at 11 o'clock and we had no food. Like my husband's running to a 
gas station. We have no vehicle or anything like that. I go to bed at 11 o'clock and wake up at 12.45 and go, all right, I'm going to start my marathon. <laughs> so I ran a marathon on a German Air Force base at 1 o'clock in the morning. And it was the most bizarre experience, but I will never forget it. Um, so that that was a really interesting thing. And then the rest of it, we flew to Virginia. I ran one marathon in Norfolk, one marathon in – or two marathons in Charleston – one marathon in Neptune Beach, and then we came here. So we drove the rest of the way down once we got to the States because we didn't want to deal with trying to work around um, flights anymore. Or... You're in Florida right now? Yes, we're in Florida right now. So I really quick, starting way back. Sorry, that how... was a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, this could be a book. It would be kind of perfect, 100 and 100 or something like that. Um I'm how, about it. <laughs> how many have been on a, on a treadmill versus outside? Um, so at this point, so also too right now, it's about 100 plus degrees and we have an African dust storm going through. Mm -hmm. um, so I have been running a few inside here, but I've probably done 40 or so on a treadmill. Okay. Um, which is not as bad as you think. It's, it's I like mean, it's 50 temperature percent at this point. Getting there, yeah. Yeah, I want to run outside, but I'm sure as you know it, it is really hard in Florida right I, now to I run outside. I can hardly do four miles. It, like, I granted, I'm trying to go out at noon. Um, oh, but <laughs> you're brave. I, I'll, I get up at five o'clock and walk out the door, and it just feels like a, I mean, it's a real feel 87 or 88. And you're just going, this is fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the treadmill has become a good friend. And and so you're going for the Guinness Book of World Records. I mean, how how have they gone about um, tracking your treadmill runs? Because I know they're all, you got to have X amount of ways to verify it. I mean, do you have a person like checking in and verifying your treadmill or, or like, how's that work? So this is, this is a really good um, conversation. So I don't know. So I have submitted my initial request. So, so there's a kind of a couple step process to Guinness. Um, you submit the initial request saying what you're trying to accomplish and what record you're going after. And then they have 12 weeks to respond to you um, to then process the information you provide. Um, so I'm still in the 12 week process of waiting for them to respond so I can then submit data. Um, but I have all, so I've recorded everything on Garmin. Um, I have people like every marathon, someone has checked in on me, um, you know, has made sure I'm doing it. They're either in person or, um, through like a phone call or text, um, which is part of the verification process is like someone has to sign Actually two people have to sign as witnesses and they, they are changing things because of the virus. Um, that you have to have had confirmation from someone saying that you did the marathon and that they checked in on it, um, whether in person or not. Um, but, you know, there's a very good chance that they could say, nope, you know, we didn't check the, the treadmill that you were running on. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I never, so I never really started this thinking I would go after a record. And if they do make it official, that would be amazing. Um, but if they don't, I know that they're, they can be very finicky and I understand that. 
Um, I do hope that they do take it. Um, but if they don't, then you know, I, I can't really control that. I had to do what I could do. Um, and I, you know, I couldn't have them come down and, and check the treadmill. Yeah. Um, no, so. I, I think you of all people would know and be satisfied with it. I mean, it would be absolutely amazing. And did you get a actual like award at some point after you crossed the 60 marathons and 60 day threshold? Um, or they're still checking that one and then you well, just are, so there, you keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'm still, I mean, I, I'm honestly still waiting to hear back on, on whether they, when I can send the data forward. Um, I have, I, I, honestly, I think they've been really overloaded with requests because I think people are bored and so <laughs> going after world records of like how many carrots can I dangle on my nose or something. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I, they have until the end of the July of July to, to respond to me. Um, so I, I do really hope that I can at least submit that data, um, and see if they, if they take it, I will say, so it, it came up, um, two days ago and, and I have done tons of Googling about records and making sure that I wasn't making any claims. And it came to my attention, two days ago that a Danish woman back in 2014 unofficially ran 366 marathons in 365 days, which I was blown away because I had not heard of it. Um, and so she did not pursue trying to make it official. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that was her decision. I'm trying to make mine official. Um, but I really want to make sure that I give her credit for what she did. And so if, mine does not become official and it stays unofficial and I have every reason to believe she did what she says she does, then mine probably won't be the unofficial world record. Um, but I, my biggest thing is being honest and being transparent. And so it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge, um, what she's done. And so, you know, if, if it's not an unofficial world record, um, I believe it's an unofficial American record, so that's pretty cool. Um, and at the very least, 100 marathons in 100 days sounds awesome. It's a good book title. So, you know, I'm kind of... Taking... In 100 states? Oh, you missed that yeah. opportunity. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been cool. Sounds like we're going to try to add a few, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm I'm really transparent about that because I didn't know about her, and I don't want to make any claims. You know um, what? it's i i get it and so 100 is your goal like will you try it to is. do 101 i think i'll do ah, don't tempt me um i mean I if was, you do 101 are you gonna do 102 and then 366 well, I, marathons in <laughs> i do have races lined up for the fall that i'm still hoping will go off so i do want to stop i mean ultimately i'm a trail runner and so all these road marathons are kind of killing my soul a little bit <laughs> Um, so I cannot wait to get back on the trails. So before we go into what races you have on the schedule, last question on this, because yeah. I think of Dean Carnass's 50 marathons, 50 days in 50 states. I think yeah. it's a movie. It might've been a book. I, I it is. I've read the book. It's yeah. inspiring. I mean, tell me about the reception of you doing this and who you're inspiring. How's that felt in like, just tell me more about that. Sorry, my mom uh, just 
tried to call me because she thought I hadn't responded that I finished my marathon. So she was worried. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So can you say that one more time? My apologies. Yeah, no problem. I I mean, Dean Carnassus, we're we're both inspired by his book. And I think of 50 marathons in 50 days and 50 states and how inspiring that that is. Um, Tell me about the individuals that have reached out that have been inspired by your efforts. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think you have a bit of an insight to that as well, because you've inspired so many people um, oh, to go you. after ultras. Yeah. I loved your book, by the way. Thank you. But um, it, I mean, honestly, that's been the best part is that it's been, I, I cannot begin to explain how many people have reached out and said, you know, during this incredibly hard time, like you're, you're the good news story right now. Um, or I decided to start a couch to 5k program, or I ran a marathon for the first time, um, or I'm training for one. Um, you know, I was having a really rough day and then I thought about you going and like, I keep going or a woman who'd always wanted to go on a road trip across the States. And she said, you know, you had the courage to keep putting one step in front of the other and you gave me the courage to go off and do it. Um, and so that, I mean, I said to, so on my 60th marathon, we had just come back to the U S um, you know, we're trying not to have too much contact with people. Um, and so I ran the 60th, you know, quote unquote, the record tying marathon completely on my own, um, you know, finishing at a hotel and my mom said, oh, it's so, it's too bad. It's so anticlimactic that, you know, you're ending at a hotel of, you know, your 60th marathon all by yourself. And I said, but mom, I haven't run a single one of these marathons alone. Like I've had people with me every step of the way. Um, and so the amount of encouragement and support has just been unbelievable. And there's, you know, there's a lot of people who say I'm insane or say it's, not healthy for me. And I have stayed healthy through this whole thing. I would have stopped had I gotten injured or gotten sick. Um, but yeah, I, you know, like I said, I've been training for this for a long time. Um, so June 9th, June 9th is the big, the big day. July, uh, or July 9th. I'm sorry. I think I don't, I honestly lose. Sometimes people have to remind me of what marathon I'm on because I forget a lot. I thought it was 88, but I today was today don't know. Was, today was 89, Nine. I think. Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got to update Instagram. So, yeah, I have you're, to do 90 you're behind. or 89 today. <laughs> um, um, where is this leading after you finish that 100th? Um, what, um, so what, what do you have on the schedule this year? So I would have. I had Moab 240 on it, and I was going to do it, and I was super gung-ho. I'm, um, I'm going. You're going? Yeah. Well, so I had a couple of moments of a bit of panic because I've had so many races canceled on me, um, and, and I completely understand this. The races can't give back fees, but I kind of panicked a little bit on that. Also, living in Florida – um, I want to, you know, I really want to train properly for Moab and here it's challenging cause it's so flat. Um, and so I did decide to postpone Moab until next year. Cool. Um, when we're living in California, I can train for it. 
um, you need a little climb. bit of altitude. I think at, do, at sea level, it's hard to do some of those bigger climbs. For sure. And I just, I don't want to repeat of <laughs> um, 2019. Like I really, I, I've been in awe of Moab. Like that's a dream race. Um, and so I really want to feel like I'm super prepared for it. Um, and so I am going to do a new 200 called Across Florida. Um, it's in November, and it goes from um, the Gulf over to St. Augustine, so kind of cool. uh, Jacksonville area. Yeah, this is brand new. Um, it's a mostly on trail, and I, you know, I kind of went. I'm I'm probably never going to live in Florida again. Why not see what's in my backyard? And maybe take some of the travel out of it a little bit um, and go for that. So that's kind of the big thing. And also I've been practicing a lot of running. Like I've been running these marathons. And so I think a race that I can run um, versus a race where I have to get my power hiking skills back into yeah. practice. Um, I think that this could be really fun. I think it's a really good challenge for where I'm at training wise. Um, and so that's what I'm shooting towards in November. And then I think it, it just, I mean, it really depends how the world is. Um, in October I may do like a new Orleans 50 miler. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I have a, a friend that I'm helping train and he's doing his first 50 miler there. So I might jump in and, uh, help him out. Nice. But, so yeah. it sounds like you have some 200 milers, like at least Yes. Light, very likely in the next two years, which I'll tell you what, it, with you doing a marathon every day, you're you're ready for just about any race you uh, can find. So especially 200 mile pace, as you know, is like quite a bit different than a marathon type pace. So um, I'm excited to see where you take it. I want to stay in touch and, and catch up with you, especially after this, this Florida 200 that you're doing. And just appreciate you taking the time and I have a million more questions, but I only have so much time. So thank you again for joining me and I'll try to get this out quick. Hopefully this will be your first podcast interview. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, no, where, where can people follow you on, on social? Um, so my main one is Instagram, which is theory underscore in underscore motion. Um, I can, so it's, yeah, and then uh, Facebook if you want to follow me, Alyssa Clark, um, and then Strava, Alyssa Clark or Garmin. I will say Strava has unfortunately uh, not uploaded a couple of my marathons. I have screenshots in Strava, <laughs> but if you want my complete accurate data, it's all in Garmin. I that was, was going to ask, like the military base runs, like normally that wouldn't work. Um, awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Let's stay in touch and stay strong here. Stay safe, but you got to get this done. You have 11 more, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. No worries. Get it done. I will. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much. And that was episode 136. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Alyssa for taking so much of her time and just fascinating story. So there, we could have probably talked for another few hours. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed hearing her perspective and what she's overcome it's very inspiring and she's as we talk going after um hopefully a, a verified world record but if not you know i think we're we're all very impressed with what she's uh 
what she's doing there. So thank you to the show sponsors, Kogala, Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, Destination Trail, and big thank you to you, you Patreon supporters. You guys make this all work. Have a great week. Don't forget to enjoy your training. See ya.